The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our scripture today begins with Luke chapter 9, beginning with the 28th verse. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any of the things they had seen. Our second reading comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Friends, it is Transfiguration Sunday once again. Every year, our liturgical calendar brings us back to key moments in Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the story of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop, and all add their own particular emphases. What is Luke's spin on the transfiguration story? Luke is the only gospel that describes Jesus as going up to the mountain to pray. In fact, Luke depicts Jesus praying more than the other three gospels combined. In Luke, Jesus prays after his baptism, after curing the leper, 
before choosing his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and from the cross for those who crucified him. To give just a few examples, for Luke, Jesus is a praying Messiah. As much as Jesus may have understood what the weeks ahead will be like for him as he journeys to the cross, being as human as you and I are, he surely wrestled with a wide range of feelings. Anxiety about how events would unfold, dread for the suffering in store for him and his loved ones, fear about whether he would have the courage to be true to his call. And being as human as you and I are, this anxiety, dread, and fear must have weighed heavily on his spirits. So he turns to God in prayer. Perhaps an answer to his prayer, Jesus finds himself in the presence of two revered saints from the past, Moses and Elijah. During their lifetimes, both of these men had also gone to the mountaintop to converse with God. Now they return centuries later to talk with Jesus about his upcoming departure from this world. It's a mountaintop experience where the topic of conversation is death. Despite being heavy with sleep, the disciples recognize Moses and Elijah, who along with Jesus appear in glory, illuminated with brilliance. This mystical experience offers the disciples a glimpse of God's realm, where past, present, and future merge, revealing how different God's timing is from our timing. The disciples see that in God's realm, those who have gone on before somehow retain their essence enough to be easily recognizable, which is a comforting thought for any of us who long to see again a loved one who left this world before us. And they also witness that in God's realm, wisdom from the ancestors strengthens the living. In this case, wisdom from Moses and Elijah strengthens Jesus. Seeking wisdom from the ancestors myself this week, I came upon a sermon on the transfiguration by the British evangelist George Whitfield, one of the most famous religious figures of the 18th century whose energized preaching in this land, in what were then British colonies, ignited the religious revival called the Great Awakening. He traveled all over this country, often drawing audiences so large that he had to preach outdoors. In this sermon, Whitfield speaks about Jesus taking his disciples to the mountain to pray because a mountain befriended devotion. And he recommends that we emulate Jesus by praying in places that befriend our communion with God. I love that phrase. Where are those places that befriend our communion with God? We're in one of them right now. Surely our ancestors built this sanctuary for the purpose of befriending our communion, our communion with God. Gathering in this beautiful space, we immerse ourselves in sacred song, 
offer prayers from our tradition and from our hearts, and find strength from being in the presence of companions on this journey of life and faith. Through blessings of technology that would astonish our ancestors, people all over the world can join us in this space to worship God. Whitfield continues, Was the Lord Jesus transformed or transfigured while he was praying? Learn, hence, to be much in spiritual prayer. The way to have the soul transformed, changed into and made like unto God, is frequently to converse with God. We say a man is as his company. Persons, by conversing together, frequently catch each other's tempers. And if you have a mind to imbibe the divine temper, pray much. And as Christ's garments became white and glittering, so shall your souls get a little of God's light to shine upon them. Nearly 300 years ago, Whitfield references the phenomenon that persons conversing together frequently catch each other's tempers. Today, a growing body of research explores the science behind this phenomenon, asking why it is that who we happen to be around has such a powerful influence on how we feel. Why does being around a happy, positive person make us feel happy and positive? While being around a negative, grumpy person does the opposite. Apparently, our brain's limbic system, which is our emotional center, works like an open loop making us so receptive to the influence of others that signals emitted from another person can change our hormone levels, our cardiovascular function, and even affect our immune systems. I find it a bit unnerving to think that other people's moods influence how I feel and think and behave. I find it even more unnerving to think that my mood affects more than just me. Isn't my mood my own personal business? Am I not allowed to have a bad day now and then without also worrying that I'm affecting the cardiovascular function of the people around me? In an article in the Harvard Business Review, psychologist Daniel Goleman, author of pioneering work around emotional intelligence, and two colleagues dissect how much direct influence the mood of a company's leader has on workers' moods and performance. A lot. Related research reveals that social, socially isolated people experience poor health outcomes while the presence of a friend or family member can lower a sick person's anxiety and assist the healing process. From a theological perspective, we could say that our relational Trinitarian God created humanity in the divine image, giving us the instinct and capacity to come to each other's emotional rescue. The way a parent makes haste to calm a crying baby. How do we lean in to this instinct? 
and harness our capacity to calm and nurture and strengthen each other. We've just lived through a pandemic that claimed over 900,000 lives in this country and nearly 6 million worldwide and disrupted all sense of normalcy. Now with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, civilians fighting in the streets of Kyiv, hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing across Ukraine's borders into neighboring countries, provoking a looming humanitarian crisis, and the military buildup in Europe, it's no surprise that people are wondering if we're on the brink of World War III. It's terrifying. So why shouldn't we be terrified? It's all too easy for us to feel frozen in a place of fear and helplessness, on a status quo of high alert all the time. So how do researchers who study emotional intelligence recommend that we respond to the virus of fear with its variants of stress and anxiety and hopelessness? They advise spending time in spaces of renewal, or as Whitfield says, places that befriend our communion with God. We may find that space in church, in the woods, on a mountaintop, at a silent retreat, in coffee hour. My husband assures me he finds communion with God on the golf course. <laughs> but an occasional trip to a mountain or a weekly visit to church isn't enough. We need to integrate moments of renewal into our lives all day long. Jesus, the praying Messiah, offers us a model we can follow. Yes, he went to the mountain to pray, but he didn't just pray there. He prayed all the time. Prayer can be a practice of renewal, but there's a caveat there. If you're anything like me, you may find that your ought self all too easily interferes with your prayer life. My ought self sounds like this. I should have a more consistent prayer practice. I should pray longer. My prayers should be more focused and less haphazard. I should pray more for spiritual matters and less for getting to my next appointment on time. I should pray more for others who really need it and less for myself. Our ought self connects us to an image of a judgmental, critical, disappointed God, not the merciful God to whom Jesus turned in prayer, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who knows us by name, accepts us as we are, and searches everywhere to find us when we're lost.
Our prayers will renew us when we pray with our true self, not our ought self. In her book, Putting Joy into Practice, Seven Ways to Lift Your Spirit from the Early Church, Phoebe Farag McHale, a Coptic Orthodox Christian, identifies seven spiritual practices adopted by the early church for cultivating joy. Among them, visiting the sick, giving thanks, extending hospitality, and shooting arrow prayers to God. Short and sweet arrow prayers are prayers we can offer in one breath. Mikhail gave as an example the prayer she offered when her basement flooded with the entire town's raw sewage. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Arrow prayers for ourselves, like, help me, God. Thank you, God. Or for others, like, be with that person, God. Be with the people of Kiev. Bring us to the day of peace. Remind us instantly of our connection with God. This week, as I've been writing this sermon, I've been praying, Jesus, take me to the mountain. And it's amazing, but my imagination immediately offers me a moment on a mountaintop with a cool breeze whipping through my hair and a spectacular view and a body stimulated by the vigorous exercise it took to get here. A moment to stand and breathe and look at the world God has made and say, wow, God, thank you. As Whitfield said, to the way to have the soul transformed, changed into and made like unto God is frequently to converse with God. If you have a mind to imbibe the divine temper, pray much. We can offer arrow prayers to God all day long. We can pray with our words, with our presence, and with our actions. When we imbibe the divine temper, we find renewal and our mood lifts. This helps us to see the face of Christ in our neighbors and the world as a place where it's possible that God's will may be done. Our hopeful perspective benefits us and our neighbors because our moods, for better or for worse, are contagious. And as Christians, we want to be contagious the way Jesus was contagious. Contagious with justice, righteousness, joy, acceptance, and love. How do we do that? Here's an example of what one community tried. A few years ago, a story about a high school football team went viral. In November 2008, the Gainesville State Tornadoes arrived in Grapevine, Texas to play against the Grapevine Faith Lions. It was a home game for the Lions because every game was an away game for the Tornadoes. These 16 and 17-year-old boys were felony offenders on special leave from their maximum security juvenile correction facility for good behavior, for which their fellow students back at the facility often gave them a hard time. 
before they even arrived to play, the tornadoes knew what to expect because they had done this before. Their side of the field would be filled with empty bleachers, their successes greeted with silence. No families or fellow student fans would watch them play. No cheerleaders would encourage and root for them. The Faith Lions had 70 boys on the team, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved supportive parents. The Gainesville Tornadoes had 14 players with felony convictions, many of whom had been disowned by their families, one coach, ancient shoulder pads and helmets, and 12 uniformed officer escorts. The odds were stacked against them. But on this day, when they arrived on the field, 200 fans stood cheering on their side of the bleachers. Cheerleaders cheered them on by name throughout the game. It took the tornadoes some time to understand what was happening. I thought maybe they were confused, said Alex, one of the Gainesville linesmen, because they started yelling defense when their team had the ball. I said, what? Why are they cheering for us? Another lineman, Gerald, acknowledged what a strange experience this was, since he and his teammates were used to having people cross the street to avoid them. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the games, he said. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray, and Gainesville's quarterback, Isaiah, surprised everybody by asking to lead the prayer. Lord, he said, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. Before they left the field, the Gainesville coach told Faith's head coach, Chris Hogan, you'll never know what your people did for these kids tonight. You'll never, ever know. But Coach Hogan knew what he had meant to do when he emailed the Lion families to ask for their participation in this game. He wrote this message. Here's the message I want you to send to these kids. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. How can we share this message in our communities today? I learned last night that our mission partner, Parity, is working to extract 17 LGBTQ Christians at great risk in Ukraine to get them to a safe house across the border. If you would like to support this effort, please visit our church website where you will find Parity's website listed under Mission Partners. They have a designated page for the Ukraine LGBTQ emergency evacuation. Friends, this world is in desperate need of joy, of hope, of renewal. 
And we can access those spiritual gifts when we turn to God in prayer. So in the words of George Whitfield, have a mind to imbibe the divine temper and pray much. And as Christ's garments became white and glittering, so shall your souls get a little of God's light to shine upon them. May it be so. Friends, life is short, and we do not have much time to gladden the hearts of those with whom we make this earthly pilgrimage. So be swift to love and make haste to do kindness. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father who creates, the Son who redeems, and the Holy Spirit who stirs the heart and soul be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>